He'd already reused the last tea bag three times and thought wistfully of those days when he'd been so profligate as to make himself pots of tea with two and three bags. Imagine, maybe he should switch to leaves. Maybe he should be better at economizing. But economy would only go so far with prices going up all the time. Nothing ever gets cheaper. At least now the newspapers are free, even if most of the news seems unbelievable. Funny how you never think it will go that way. At 20, at 30, at 40, you never imagine that one day in your 70s, you'll find yourself counting tea bags and ruining pennies spent. Actually, as a student in Diggs those many decades ago, he had been poor, but it was a different kind of poverty. The camaraderie of the set meant they could throw their few shillings together for a drink or two and live on soup and beans. Now who was there? Everyone was dead or moved on. His parents passed. They'd never been a very large family, nor particularly close. How had he come to the pass that he knew not a single person of whom to beg a tea bag? Of course, the neighbors were out of the question. They'd just see him as a charity case. The last thing he needed was their pity. He couldn't really blame the government, not as a pensioner. Every day he read stories of food banks, bedroom tax, child poverty. There were riots in the streets. 1% have all the wealth. Everyone else has 1% of nothing. The situation seems dire. But still, the pension comes through. The one reliable thing in the post-truth world. Word of the year, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. Regular is the junk mail on the doorstep. Victor, do you really need a cup of tea? With no tea bags, there's milk to spare. Nice hot milk's probably a better idea, don't you think? His voice sounded loud in the small kitchen. Doesn't do to start talking to yourself. Who knows where that might lead? The next thing you know, you're answering yourself back. And what if an argument ensued? No, not hot milk first thing in the morning. The thought of it, a man needed a decent cup of tea. And why do I still get up punctiliously at 8.30 each morning, the same dull round of it, as if I can't bear to miss even one moment of this world? What changes? that a tea bag could be the tipping point, the very idea. Victor, get a hold of yourself. One day tea bags, the next day everything. That was all very well, but the fact remained. He did not have the readies to purchase a tea bag. He could not borrow a tea bag. Of tea, there was none. We'll gathering again. Is that what they meant by a fugue state? You're suddenly there in the moment and you've no clue how much time has passed. In that daze, you awake, find yourself clutching an empty tea caddy at the kitchen sink, gazing out the window without seeing what is there. 
He imagined his voice rusty from disuse. The only interaction when he bought a pint of milk or a loaf of bread. And even that was rapidly being replaced by self-checkouts. Unexpected human in the bagging area. Late November has stripped the trees of their leaves, leaving them skeletal. Nowhere for the birds to hide. There, in the fork of a tree, was a magpie. And he could swear it was looking back at him. I don't know, Victor. One minute you're talking to yourself, and the next it's magpies, male or female. How do you tell the difference? The magpie spread its wings and settled again. Victor stepped to the side, and the head tracked him. It was watching him. Well, they were known to be thieves. Victor's kitchen window was on the ground floor of his housing association flat in Bermondsey. In an effort to make the environs less grim, at some point the council had put in some trees, which had grown in a spindly way to about 20 feet tall now. He realized the, that the magpie was not alone. There were several others in the trees, and they too seemed to be watching him. Could it be possible? He liked his ground floor flat, being able to watch people walking past from the kitchen window. He never felt overlooked. It made him feel less lonely, in fact. But now, under the gaze of a gulp of magpies, a mischief of magpies, a charm, a mystic, a murder of magpies, what was the term? He suddenly felt uneasy and wished the window were eclipsed with a blind. Victor, you need to get out more if four birds in a tree worry you that much. It wouldn't do. I need to get out for a walk. Fresh air, that will sort it. Walking is free at least. And it's a while since I've been to the river. That's what I'll do. It was also a while since he'd seen a magpie at rest. There were such handsome birds. The contrast of black and white feathers, the luster of their iridescent tails. The magpie flitted to join its fellow, but still didn't take flight. Well and all, I should wrap up warm and go for a walk. Go and look at all the new developments past Tower Bridge, where the mayor's headquarters squat like a great spaceship tethered to the edge of the Thames. There are still free things to be had in this great city. If I can make the distance. It doesn't look like rain. Victor put down the tea caddy and went to fetch his coat. Worn now, the shoulders dropped and shiny from years of use. It still retained its ability to keep him warm. Had it always been so heavy? He changed his slippers for his best outdoor shoes and wrapped a scarf tightly around his neck. He would do. Spectacles, testicles, wallet and watch. Wallet in the inside pocket, thick with bus tickets and receipts and coupons and cuttings, makes a comforting bulge. Umbrella? You never knew. And it could double as a walking stick. Not that he needed one, of course. Another little lie, you tell yourself, eh? Already now. He carefully locked the door behind him and crossed the empty vestibule to the street door.
mid-morning, and the estate was quiet, although in the distance he could hear traffic, the blare of a siren. He heard the raucous cry of a bird above him and looked up. The magpies, it seemed, were still watching him. He set off through the estate. Uh, thank you, Zelda. Uh, Zelda Riando is really the driving force behind the Brixton Book Jam. I, for one, feel so thankful to have such an event right on my doorstep. Um, you can thank her by telling all your friends about it, telling them to come. <laughs> Zelda and Stuart. <clears throat> you can thank her by telling them to come to the next Book Jam, which is on the first Monday of March next year. Um, our next writer is Robin Travis. His first book, Prisoner to the Streets, tells of his journey from London's gangland to becoming a successful writer. His new novel, Mama Can't Raise No Man, published in October 2016, is an insightful exploration of gender roles and modern definitions of masculinity. Robin is currently working on his next novel, as well as a screenplay and web series. He is a passionate advocate for young people. Please welcome Robin Travis. Evening, evening people. This is dedicated to all single parents out there forced to raise their children alone the best way they know how. Mama can't raise no man. Mr. Ricketts, please stand. On the 27th of November, police were called to an address on Roadman Avenue, just down the road from Broadwater Farm Estate in Tottenham, to investigate a case of domestic violence. On arrival, they were confronted by an altercation between you, the mother of your children, and her male friend for which you were arrested and subsequently charged with on count of common assault against a Miss Candice Hannigan. There was also an additional charge of grievously bodily harm on a Mr. Tyrone Campbell. As if that wasn't bad enough, on searching your parked vehicle, the officers at the scene discovered 900 pounds in cash, 46 wraps of heroin, weighing a total of 14.2 grams, and 15 wraps of cocaine, weighing um, 5.4 grams. Despite the weight of evidence against you, you refused to take responsibility when interviewed. Instead, you rep repeatedly claimed that the drugs were not yours. However, you then entered a last-minute guilty plea, which leads me to conclude that you are finally willing to own up and take responsibility for your actions, in light of the overwhelming evidence against you. Mr. Ricketts, there is no doubt in my mind that the drugs were yours, and that you didn't intend to sell them for profit. Your previous history shows that this is an offence that you are no stranger to. In fact, I myself sentenced you for intent to supply three years ago. This leads me to conclude that you have absolutely no respect for the law and that you continue to be one of the parasites who prey on the young and vulnerable of our society by applying them with recreational poison for your own profitable gain. I have taken into consideration the character references presented, which I must say portray you as a good parent. 
and a positive contributor to the community. While there are several testimonies in regards to the work you've done to get youth off the street by involving them with the local football team on Broadwater Farm, I'm afraid I'm not all convinced that you are a changed man. All I see standing here in front of me is the same Dwayne Ricketts that stood before me three years ago. And you certainly bear no resemblance to the street saint that you're portrayed to be in these testimonies I have before me. You knew full well when supplying these drugs, Mr. Ricketts, that possession with the intent to supply is a serious offense and carries a prison sentence. If you were the great father you and others claim, surely you would have known the impact that a custodial sentence would have on your children, given the fact that you are now going to be absent from their lives for a significant amount of time. Immediate custody is inevitable for offenses of this gravity. Mr. Ricketts, I also urge you to take a look at your mother to look long and hard at what this is doing to the poor woman. You've been convicted three times in your 24 years of living. It's been an ongoing occurrence since the tender age of 15. Having said that, it would be remiss not to acknowledge that this string of convictions must surely be, in part at least, a reflection of the way you were raised. Miss Ricketts, I can't begin to fathom why you allowed your son out there on the streets from the age of 15. Surely any decent parent would have made sure that their child was in the house by a reasonable hour. If you had control of your son at a much earlier age, Miss Ricketts, I dare say he wouldn't have been able to get into trouble. While Mr. Ricketts is responsible for his own actions, you, Miss Ricketts, must also take responsibility for the role you did or didn't play as his, as his parent. Miss Ricketts, as a mother myself, it is hard for me to pass sentence on your son whilst you're so tearful. I'm sure you're plagued with shame and pain. But as a judge in the court of law, my only concern is the law is upheld as it should be. Mr. Ricketts, my personal opinion is that you deserve nothing less but the full force of the law. However, I must take your guilty plea into consideration. Your sentence would be a total of 44 months imprisonment. You will serve at least half of that sentence before being released on license, depending on your behavior. That is the sentence of the day. Sorry, that is the sentence of the court. Good day. How are you keeping, son? I know it's not easy right now, but you've been through this before. You're strong enough to go through it again. You've got to be strong, son. How are they treating you? I hope you're not getting into any arguments with the prison guards. Don't go making things harder for yourself. Please, just try and keep peace with them. Even if they try to wind you up, stay calm. You know they would love nothing more than to make you serve your full sentence, and then some. You can't, let them get in, you can't let them get to you in the way they did the last time. Deal with it like a man. As for that judge that sentenced you, don't pay her no mind. She's too rude, but she feels my grief. Trust me, son, I had to pray on the spot and ask the good Lord to give me strength or else I would have ended up in there with you. Are you eating well? Do you need me to send some money? Have you got a phone card? Call me if you need anything. Mum, P.S. I saw Pastor Benjamin. You remember my old preacher from Dawson who always tried to get you to come church? I let him know what's going on, so last Sunday he told the whole congregation that you're back in there and to pray for you. Everyone's got you in their prayers, son. Some of them even want to come visit you and pray with you. What shall I tell them? They've been praying about my high blood pressure, but Pastor Ben says that praying for me alone won't bring my blood pressure down. They have to pray for you too. Yodi, wa gwa ma nigga. 
Man don't even know what to say right about now. Shit just seems to always be peak for you. How is it that every time I come out the can, you end up going in? Some Mickey Mouse business. I've only been on road like what, five weeks? Us man came down court the other day to support you, but you looked well pissed, my brother. I doubt you even noticed us man jamming in the gallery. I've never seen you look so stressed. That screw face you gave the judge was emotional. I know you're screwing right now, but don't watch no face. All the main mandem on road are out here saying Ricketts is still a real G and free my nigga Ricks because of the way you dealt with the case. Obviously a standard. Real niggas don't snitch, but still. All I can say is that you're one loyal brother, fam. Because if it was me, I would be getting on to my younger, telling him to step up and own up to the food. You're good, bruv. Not me, though. I ain't trying to catch a case for a third time. I only just touched road. I ain't riding no bird again, cuz. No way. Not for no one or nothing. Look how much of the mandem are sitting on an IPP. But you do your thing, my G. I can't knock you. You held it down for the man. So if you ever need help busting that case on the next thing, just say the word and I'll pass it on. On the next tip, though, my brother, I see the way you was moving out here. It was different. You proper tried to change up your life and come off the road thing. You made that shit look easy. I rate that. I'm going to have to try and take a leaf out of your book. But in the meantime, a man's got to eat. We've been on road for years, but this road life's dead now. And my second you is getting big, quick, fast. I'm going to try to do things the way you tried to. I need to go look a job before I get itchy fingers. One that works around my probation, though. It's time for man to try and let go this road thing for good and go legit. But legit ain't easy, dog. You know this. If it was a change, man like you wouldn't be back in there. I lie, fam? Yeah, and I heard about the fuckery your baby mother Candy is going with. You know I feel your pain on that one, my G. I don't know what makes these bad mind bitches think they can stop a brother from seeing his own you. Kiss my teeth. All I know is if I ever catch my first baby mother Selena walking on road with my ute, I'm looking to crack her jaw. Call me a woman beater, I don't care, my nigga. My son's gonna be eight soon, and I ain't seen him since he was four. No address, no number, no nothing. That shit ain't right. Why didn't you show man that candy stopped you from seeing them? You never told me that, fam. That shit must be really pissing you off in there. I bet you never thought your baby mother was one of them effed up type of bitches like Selena. I told you from day one, bruv, you can't be wifing off these hood rat bitches. They're just like us man on road, cold fucking hearted. Anyway, try and keep your head up, but your head down at the same time. You know the thing already. Roll easy and holler if you need to. You know I always got you and vice versa. One love, one order, reds. Dwayne, what the F, man? How you gonna change from not guilty to guilty at the last minute? And how you managed to end up back in there for drugs? Guilty. So basically you lied to everyone then, even to yourself. What happened to all that talk, Chris, talk, that talk last Christmas about going legit? You looked me dead in the face and said, sis, I'm never going to jail again. New year, new me. No matter how hard times get, I'll never hustle again. Swear down, you said. You said that Imani and Justy are more important. Sorry, you said that Imani and Justice are more important to you than the roads. Didn't you say that? I proper believed you as well. It come like I can't believe a single word you say. You're not a man of your word. I'm still not buying that domestic violence charge against you, though. I don't believe that crap. 
I know my brother wouldn't box down no girl. But when it comes to drugs, I just can't tell with you. I don't know what to believe anymore. Your so-called friends are trying to tell me the drugs weren't yours, that you're just keeping it real. Forget keeping it real, bruv. You got kids to think about. Keep it real to them. How are you gonna tell them why you weren't there for another two years of their lives? Because you were keeping it real. What kind of example are you setting to Armani as a man? He worships you, but if you keep disappearing out of his life, he'll end up dissing you. You're supposed to be my big brother, D, but sometimes I swear it feels like I'm the older one. You're like a little big brother. I, I always got to take care of you and your business when you're behind bars. I can't be too mad because you do always have my back. Anyway, I'm here as per usual and I still love you, big head. Stay out of trouble, Marissa. Dear Mr. Ricketts, I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you. Your appeal against the length of your sentence based on the perceived bias by the judge has been turned down. If I might say so, as your solicitor, your X-rated outburst following the sentencing wasn't helpful to your cause. I understand your sense of anger and injustice after the judge's closing remarks, but you have to learn to control your temper in a court of law. Abuse to judges doesn't go down well with other judges. I believe that an appeal for a non-custodial sentence based on your outstanding contribution to the local community would have been a better option, even though the odds were always going to be against you. You were during court on the 7th of October, pending your case of GBH. I hope you will listen to my advice this time round and try to refrain from losing your temper. If you don't, you will lose in court. Many things will come out in the case about your relationship, which you will no doubt find unpleasant. But may I be as bold as to suggest that you sit on your hands and bite your tongue throughout the proceedings. Let the barrister take the string. I shall be in touch if need be. Good luck in, good luck in court. Sincerely, M.G. Greaves, solicitor at law. Son, did you get my first letter? I wrote to you about two weeks ago and I still haven't heard back from you. What's the matter? Didn't you get it? Have you forgotten how to write? Or are you trying to help raise my blood pressure? Don't forget I'm still your mum. You know how I worry already. I need to know that you're all right. I know what you're going through is hard, I get that. But please, let me know how things are. Please, maybe I can help, maybe I can't. But you know what they say? A trouble shared is a trouble halved. No man is an island. Hope you're well, son. I'm waiting for your letter. Mum, P.S. Don't forget to pray. D, I swear I'm gonna box that dryad girl down, you know. Your baby mother's sister, that is. How could this stink, nappy-head, crusty-faced, dotty girl come and knock down my door at seven in the morning on a Saturday? Can you believe the cheek of this, the cheek of this hood rat? I thought it was them Jehovah Witnesses at first, till I see this chick with a bundle of weave on her head walking away from my yard, shouting off her lips about the Ricketts family ain't shit, in or out of jail. I swear down, D, I wanted to take off my slippers and go fix the bitch up, but it might have made things worse for you, so I just lied her to run up her gums. As I come down the stairs, I see one letter without an envelope by my door. I only read the first sentence, then I clocked the face the girl must be wanting me to send it to you, like my name's friggin' Postman Pat, face the rascal, kiss my teeth. Anyway, I don't read through your business. I, I didn't read through your business, but I attached her letter to mine so you can hear what the hood rat's saying. Don't let her draw you out, bruv. You know what lawn is like. Dwayne, Dwayne, tell me something. What is it about your family? 
Why is it your family love to make out that you're some type of angel? Especially that little nappy head sister of yours. The bitch can't even tie her hair in a bun. You know you ain't no saint, acting like your shit don't stink. You didn't really think you could put your hand on my little sister and get away with it, did you? How dare you? Are you mad, bruv? Who the hell do you think you are? Let me tell you something, prick. You ain't no one. And you must be crazy if you think you're going to get away with that shit. I'm going to make you pay. And I know big men who will gladly fuck your shit up. You must have lost your mind when you put your hands on her. My sister's name ain't Rihanna, rude boy. I can't stand men like you. Or should I say boys like you? The problem is that you lot think you run things. I blame your mum for your slackness. She never taught you no better. She never raised no man. If she did, you would have known how to treat a lady. Here's the thing, real men don't put their hands on women. But don't worry, when my niece and nephew grow up, I'm gonna let them know how much of a waste man their dad really is. On a positive note, at least you're back home where you belong. A cage, you're an animal. And the longer we can keep you behind bars, the better. See you in court, you little woman beater you. Yo, big brother, nothing but love for the way you had my back. You know you didn't have to do that for me. But man, really appreciate it all the same. You're my brother for life, brother from another mother, the realest brother alive. I want you to know that I know you're probably still vexed with man, but what else can I say? I got caught slipping. God knows. If I had known you was coming back that night, I would have never fast up myself and baited up your car like that. My bad, cuz. My bad. Whatever it takes, I'm going to make it up to you, my G. Just say the word. What's done is done already, but just know that I'm already putting in that work to make sure you don't have to ride any extra time. I can't ever pay you back for this one, but try and OG. When you land road, you're going to be nice with paper. And what's this talk I'm hearing on road? Man are saying you may weather your baby mother and her new pen pal. I know you don't get down like that. MOE for life. Real talk. Man will make sure you bust that case as well. One order. MOE. Dwayne. Cha. How you managed to go jail a third time? Three times? What, you love man or something? If you knew how much it buns me to know, say, you, you get luck up again. What happened this time? You're always finding yourself in these situations. Why are you so angry? What's up with you? What's going on in that head of yours? You can't keep living like this, you know? You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. I can't lie, Dwayne. I'm really disappointed to hear you're back in there. But you're my nephew, so I love you all the same. Why did you do it, Auntie Janjan? Bro, I still haven't heard from you. Why are you acting up for? Your vets cause what I said in my first letter, innit? Well, I don't business no more, D. It had to be said. At first, I thought you weren't getting my letters, but even mum's telling me you're not replying. I phoned the prison to find out if you were on the block or whether they shipped you out. So now I'm wondering if you're opening your mail. What's going on? I saw your brethren reds in Bruce Grove. Your mate's looking silly, hench. Even his muscles got muscles, but he's still got the matchstick legs, though. Have you seen him since he's come out? He kept asking about you. He says you haven't replied to him, neither. He wanted to know how you were and how you and Candy are getting along, and if there was anything he could do to help. You know I don't really like most of your brethren, but you see, Reds, he's proper blessed. He's always got you. Anyway, I hope you open this letter because I've got some bad news for you. Is that it? Yeah, cool. Sorry. I thought I was at home. Thank you, Robin. Um, Robin's been recently featured in The Guardian, um, so have a look on their website for that article. It's, it's worth a read. Um, 
Also, Robin's book, some of his other books, and a lot of the um, books from our writers this evening are still on the bookstore. So please, after we finish, go down and buy some. Um, after an early career at the BBC World Service, Lydia Sison wrote a PhD on Timbuktu and published a biography of Britain's first sex therapist, Doctor of Love, Dr. James Graham and his celestial bed. Her novels bring radical history to life. A World Between Us tells the story of the Spanish Civil War. World War II pilots, Polish pilots and pacifism feature in That Burning Summer. And France's Forgotten Revolution, the 1871 Paris Commune, is the subject of Liberty's Fire, which she's now going to read from. Please welcome Lydia Sison. Darts arise, ye starvelings, from your slumbers. And um, we sang it at my grandparents' funerals. And it rang through my head when I was writing my Spanish Civil War novel because it was the song that united all the international volunteers for liberty who went to Spain to fight fascism in the 1930s. And they sang it in lots of different languages often at once. Um, but it was actually written over 60 years earlier at the fall of the Paris Commune, which was France's last 19th century revolution. And it was a moment when ordinary Parisians, ordinary working Parisians, um, rose up and basically declared UDI. And for 72 days, they ran the city along the lines of their progressive ideals. Um, so they introduced equal pay for women, they set up cooperative workshops, they, um, they, they started trying to set up a secular education for all and music for the masses and so on. And as it had been for the first revolution, it was the best and the worst of times. They were doing this under siege and women in particular really got behind the commune because they had the most to gain and the least to lose. Um, Paris was becoming an ever more divided city. The poor had been pushed out by the speculative building projects of the rich, which may sound familiar. Um, and, but I have to tell you, in history, if, you, if you write historical fiction, you, you have to kind of, the spoilers come with the territory. So I'll just go ahead and tell you that um, you'll be unsurprised to hear that the commune was crushed very brutally by the French government in a seven-day massacre known as Bloody Week. And the bit I'm going to read from you now is in the middle of that week. A few more things you need to know, characters. Um, so Zephyrine is a, a poor flower maker. Anatole, a violinist. Um, Jules, his friend, um, is a rich American photographer and, um, like Zephyrine, is in love with Anatole. Um, so the first two have been fighting on the barricades, and, and Jules is altogether more ambivalent about the commune. Wednesday was the worst. Black bats escaped across the dirty sky in streams, shiny, flimsy wings disintegrating as they flew. Fragments of black silk attached themselves to Anatole's salt-sticky face as they retreated eastward. Moths in mourning, edge crinkled. Where had this dark blizzard come from? Who had fashioned these grim funereal petals which crumbled to the touch? What was all this stuff? Not silk, but paper, 
so much paper. All the records from the Hôtel de Ville, released to Rome through Paris, undoing births and deaths and marriages and deeds of ownership in a moment and forever. The documents of generations, families of shopkeepers, aristocrats, orphans, beggars, were dispersed within hours. Not a trace would remain. As the Palais de Justice burned too, every name of every criminal, every record of every revolutionary, every second, second empire denunciation blackened and took to the air. Jules imagined Anatole creeping home wounded, unable to climb the stairs, even collapsing halfway home. He decided to risk a short foot patrol, a kind of reconnoiter. He checked the whole building first, and then the neighboring streets, just in case, staying well clear of the Friends of Order. The maids had deserted the cellar. Jules realized he had the place entirely to himself now, which was a strange, chilling feeling. He inspected the inner courtyard before venturing out of the main door and onto the road, holding his head high and trying to look satisfied with events. He immediately choked on the smoke. He decided to play a visit to Monsieur Louvet's establishment to clear his throat, but also to find out if he had heard anything useful. When he got there, Jules quickly discovered a new word was ricocheting around the cafes and bars and pavements of Paris. Monsieur Louvet was surprised he had not come across it already. Soon enough, it would echo through newspapers around the world. Petroleurs, they called them. You need to take care, Monsieur Louvet warned. Keep your eyes peeled for these women. They're everywhere now, it seems. Unstoppable. Everyone was talking about the women incendiaries. The evil bitches were setting fire to Paris, they said, pouring kerosene into basements and cellars. So cunning, too. They disguised their weapons in milk bottles and shopping baskets. It was impossible to know where they might strike next. Just that morning, near the base of the, and, near the, base of the broken column in the Place Vendôme, 13 shots rang out at once. 13 women fell to the ground. They were petroleurs, it seemed. They deserved it, of course, these monstrous women, maddened by resentment unnatural wives and mothers and daughters, women who would destroy Paris before they surrendered the city. Of course the arsonists had to be killed. The whole commune had to be exterminated as fast as possible. That's what everybody said. Jules looked at the faces in the cafe, listening open-mouthed and terror-stricken, and he thought of Zephyrine. Where was she now? What might Rose be saying to her next? Mysterious Rose, always so busy that he and Anatole had still never set eyes on her. Was she half-crazed by now, too, dispatching minions to do wicked deeds? But surely even they wouldn't. She couldn't. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Lydia. Our last writer for the Brixton Book Jam of 2016 is another local writer. Born, bred, and based in Brixton, Cynthia Rooms is an artist, writer, poet, and believer in social justice. Her visual and literary work reflects on life, the human condition, and triumph over adversity from a black woman's perspective. 
For over 30 years, Cynthia has worked to bring high-value investment to local communities. Please welcome to the stage, Cynthia Rooms. everyone. There's still quite a few of you left. That's a good sign. Um, it's my birthday tomorrow. Uh, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. I can't think of a better way to spend the day before. So I'm going to read you the foreword of um, my book, Evolution, a collection of paintings, poetry and prose, um, and four poems which um, chart the journey of a woman. And I think that every woman's uh, life is an evolution. So hopefully there'll be elements of uh, what I read to you this evening that um, resonate. So, okay, um, about me. Born to Jamaican parents on the sixth day of December, 1959, I painted the Evolution exhibition of artwork over a period of 22 years, starting at the age of 30. The poetry and prose evolved over more time than that, about 40 years in all. Now I'm in my 53rd year, it's actually my 57th tomorrow. Uh, it's time to share my first amalgamated collection with a public audience. I want to take the reader and the viewer on a journey through my evolution as a black woman, exploring what it means to live in a disadvantaged urban area, to be uplifted and inspired by the therapeutic and explorative, explorative qualities of visual art and the written and spoken word. Evolution provides an insight to my thoughts and feelings as an adolescent and young adult growing through to maturity in the often turbulent inner city area of Brixton in Lambeth, an eclectic and diverse South London borough known as much for the urban riots of the 80s as for its marketplace, artist community, entertainment venues, the Brixton Village Food Hall and other eateries and its vibrant nightlife. I am one of many black people born into a community of Commonwealth migrants from the Caribbean, made to feel less than welcome, left wondering why our parents were invited here in the first place and what to do about the dilemma after I discovered it in order to progress and succeed in British society. The world has changed rapidly. The Cold War, proliferation of nuclear weapons, mass demonstrations and protests, racial tensions, and the International Space Program were all headline news when I was growing up. I remember being particularly traumatized by images of famine in Biafra and Ethiopia, by the wars in Vietnam, Israel, and Northern Ireland. I was challenged by the impact of communism in the Caribbean, Poland, USSR, and China, angered by apartheid, and disappointed by the role of the West in the whole sorry mess. Like many people, I was consequently alienated and angst-ridden. I sought a spiritual solution to material problems over which I had no control. And yet, many years later, I am no more assured by the current economic crisis, the state of the Middle East, the endless stream of wars, and the issue of environmental sustainability. By exploring myself and my evolution through the medium of art and poetry and prose, I found a way for negative energy to be converted into something positive. There is therapy in art and literature, 
an infinity of space in which both the artist, the reader, the listener, and the viewer can share similar and disparate experiences in a safe place. The Evolution Collection is illustrated by a selection of my poetry and by three segments of prose designed to add to the viewer and reader experience by permeating what is seen with what is spoken. I invite, I invite you to join me on an interactive journey through a lingering latticework of carefully curated images and words dug out from deep within my soul. So the first poem I want to read to you is Ode to Eve. Ode to Eve. The magnetic attraction of forbidden fruit, a searing, burning force, insatiable desire, resistance subdued, my opposing mind is mute. I crave to feel your consuming fire. Such fire is quenched only by your water, splashing and lapping against my inner walls, calming me, gently loving me, almost as a daughter created at your will, inviting calls. Quietly insistent rhythm, swaying seductive move, but I am not to be seduced. I willingly receive your force, penetrating slowly. We too, having nothing to prove, enjoy forbidden fruit from skin to source. Am I to taste in fear of abstract punishment? Is not heavenly fantasy to become reality on earth? Will you fulfill your promise or were you sent to taunt me? Still I drink and savor the birth, the knowledge of good and evil to eat and know all. In my body and my mind I cannot deny the warmth I feel at your touch. Let the fruit fall into my hand. Let us eat. To dare is not to die. The second poem I want to read to you is called From Before. Previously, we had been friends when rains fell and rivers ran through hills and mountains echoing sweet refrains. Cascading fountains, frothing and foaming, gently corroding sand and stones there from creation. The air was heavy with the scent of lush vegetation. Sun-blessed food, open shelter, a place to rest from play, which filled our day with gladness. Maybe tomorrow we'll meet again, passing years move a little faster and bring you to where I am. Now, we are separated souls. The rivers run dry, yet thunder rolls. Valleys are haunted by the cries of children, taunted by the lies which made them fatherless. But still, they are wanted. Women singing lullabies quietly caress skin and bones starved from creation. The air is rancid with the stench of a dying population and the sun takes no time to rest. Their eyes are filled with tears and bitter sadness. Maybe tomorrow we'll meet again, passing years, move a little faster, and bring you to where I am.
Thank you. Only two to go. Exploding the myth. See those wrinkled faces in far-off lands where white flags are flown and sad eyes cry in fear of the unknown? Forced to walk in columns to follow and comply in the absence of social deviancy and the unanswered question, why? Do people choose their leaders, leaders to make global crisis news, to reign in power oblivious, to subjugate their views? Catch-22, a faulty exit, once caught one is to remain, between parallels of left and right in the center of political game. And in the media malaise, parties join, coalesce and fool with a catalog of soundbite contingencies from a PR market selling UPC cool. Do people choose their leaders to hear when they refuse to live in poverty regardless, to merge their shades of red and blue. In the arena all do walk, Utopia's road, in search of hopes and dreams, but my utopia is not yours, and theirs is not what it seems. Still the wrinkled faces bring forth rays and rear, Smooth visages with sparkling eyes that will shed the same old tears. Do people choose their leaders to destroy with acid corrosion, to erect facades that promote a myth, to wait for a big bang explosion? Okay, thank you. This is the last one, um, and I call it my anthem. Uh, it's called Mama Cry, Mama Cry. Mama Cry, Mama Cry. Mama Cry, live in eye water from our eyes. Mama Cry, so till she... So I'll, I'll just start that again. Mama Cry, Mama Cry. Mama Cry, live in eye water from her eyes. Mama cry so till she no have no more eye water for cry. Things was really hard living on an island. Then came a man in a shirt and tie from the mainland. Saying free education in our modern civilization. Good working conditions for all. High wages unlikely to fall. All you got to do is give us your labor, get on a boat, a plane, a train, and come on over. Mama leave, mama leave, mama leave the little island in the sun. Mama leave and say she soon send for the youths and make them come. Mama leave. Yes, labor was what they wanted, slaving on the mainland. Rushing like a Russian through the concrete, Mama was missing the beach and the sand. Feeling the cold of ice and snow, smelling the paraffin fire glow. Mama recalled Grandma mentioned plantation. Then she find herself in the same situation. All she could do is send for the children. The few shillings she saved must can educate them. Mama send, Mama send, Mama send for the youths to make them get wise. Mama send for the youths, she borrow, she lend from friend and friend. Mama send. But things was getting worse, 
When the youths reach the mainland, the natives get worried and started to curse people from the island. It's true they did get some schooling, yet still the teachers was only fooling. Feeding the youths a history full of lies. Then with mind control, they tried to hypnotize. Some lose through they choose to play the game. Some win through they know that all is the same. Mama, why, mama, why? Mama, why you suffer so much when you try? Mama, why should I give and live like a fool when I know that you cry? Mama, why? Mama, cry. Mama, try, mama, sigh. And then she said, children, never you believe a lie. Always look your friends in the eye and remember, try to remember, always remember, mama cry, mama cry. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cynthia Rooms. Well, that's it for another year of the Brixton Book Jam. We'd like to thank all tonight's writers for making another amazing evening. Don't forget the bookstall's still open. Look, they're selling, selling now. Um, we'd like to thank the Hootenanny Brixton for welcoming us so warmly for another year. Thanks to Stax Dempsey on sound and for his music. Don't forget to put Monday the 6th of March 2017 in your diaries for the next Brixton Book Jam and to tell all your friends about it. And if you're on there, please do follow us on Twitter at Brixton Book Jam and like us on Facebook. And finally, a big round of applause for Stuart Taylor and Zelda Riando for making this all possible. Thank you very much and good night.